You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The SVR may have compromised 27 U.S. attorneys' offices. Ransomware disruptions of a physical supply chain continue as South African ports reopen. The EA hackers give up and dump the source code they stole. Double extortion may not be paying off. A look at initial access brokers. Operation Top Dog yields indictments in an international fraud case. Rick Howard tackles enterprise backup strategies. Kevin McGee from Microsoft has lessons learned hiring multiple team members during COVID. And a decryptor for Prometheus ransomware is released. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, August 2nd, 2021. The SolarWinds campaign successfully hit accounts in 27 U.S. attorneys' offices, the U.S. Department of Justice said late Friday. Among the offices most affected were the eastern, northern, southern, and western districts of New York, where 80% of employees' Office 360 accounts were compromised. Why those districts were particularly affected is unclear, and justice didn't elaborate on the reasons. As is now well known, the U.S. has attributed the SolarWinds campaign to Russia's SVR Foreign Intelligence Service. The Justice Department said, quote, the compromised data included all sent, received, and stored emails and attachments found within those accounts during that time. End quote. Specifics of the damage done remain a matter of speculation, with several discussions of the possibility that, for example, information about confidential informants could have been compromised. The Justice Department is acting on the basis of worst-case assumptions. Their announcement said, quote, the department is responding to this incident as if the advanced persistent threat group responsible for the solar winds breach had access to all email communications and attachments found within the compromised O365 accounts. The APT is believed to have access to compromised accounts from approximately May 7th to December 27th, 2020. The compromised data included all sent, received, and stored emails and attachments found within those accounts during that time. End quote. 
It was, of course, email accounts that were compromised, and the BBC, citing conversations with former prosecutors, said that U.S. attorneys' personnel commit a great deal of sensitive material to email. USA Today quotes a former prosecutor as saying, quote, I don't remember ever having someone bring me a document instead of emailing it to me because of security concerns, end quote, with the exception of certain classified material. Although Transnet's recovery from the ransomware attack it sustained is well underway and port services in South Africa have returned, the cyber attack effects continue to linger in the supply chain. Asia Fruit reports that deliveries of fresh produce have been significantly disrupted and automotive logistics finds similar stresses in auto parts shipments. The record reports that extortionists who hit Electronic Arts last month failed to either get the game maker to pay ransom or to find third parties willing to buy the files they stole during their attack. Last week, they dumped some 751 gigabytes of compressed EA data onto an underground forum from where the data have been circulated to various torrent streams, data which includes game source code mostly. No customer data appeared to have been at risk. The source code leaked includes the widely played and popular FIFA 21 soccer game. The hackers seem to have misjudged their market. The attack came to light on June 10th, when those who claimed responsibility for the incident posted a note in an underworld market announcing that they were in possession of EA data, which a buyer could have for $28 million. No one, apparently, bit. Giving up on finding a buyer, the criminals then contacted EA with an offer not to publish the stolen data. EA wasn't interested either, so the thieves gave up and simply dumped the code online. Looking elsewhere in the criminal marketplace, security firm Recorded Future also thinks it sees a decline in double extortion from the highs it reached in December. Double extortion, of course, is encryption to render data unavailable and threats to release the data if not paid. It may be that this second threat isn't really paying off for them. Recorded Future's Alan Liska said, quote, Ransomware actors came up with this whole system that they thought would encourage people to pay— and us researchers and journalists lapped it up and said it made perfect sense. But we've seen over time that companies don't really suffer consequences if their data winds up on extortion sites. Ransomware actors aren't always the psychological geniuses we think they are. End quote. IT Pro speculated recently that there may be signs the ransomware operators were growing a conscience. This seems wildly and unreasonably optimistic to us, but the criminal market has shifted. With Black Matter apparently picking up where Darkseid and R. Evil left off and Doppelpamer rebranded as Grief, the criminal-to-criminal market remains lively. Security firm Kayla has been tracking the recent fortunes of initial access brokers in this hot subsector of crime. Their report on initial access brokers, released this morning, discerns five trends in this criminal-to-criminal market. First, the pricing of initial access is based on the size of the company compromised and the level of privilege the broker has achieved within the network. Quote, The average price for network access during July 2020 through June 2021 was $5,400, US while the median price was $1,000. 25% of the listings posted for sale were confirmed to be sold by initial access brokers. 
Second, there's a growing diversification in the kinds of access being hawked. Kayla says, quote, The term network access is very loosely defined. Threat actors use it to describe multiple different vectors, permission levels, and entry points. End quote. RDP and VPN access remain the most common offerings. Some of the newer attack vectors being sold seem to represent MeTooism, in which criminals follow the trail blazed by intelligence services in such compromises as those that afflicted SolarWinds and Kaseya. And third, it appears that some of the more successful initial access brokers are becoming quiet. But this doesn't mean they're fading away or going to ground. Quote, It doesn't necessarily mean that initial access brokers suspended their activity. Rather, Kayla concluded that the decrease is due to the fact that IABs simply moved part of the deals to private correspondence with middlemen or ransomware affiliates in an effort to avoid detection from researchers and law enforcement agencies. End quote. The fourth trend Kayla calls a growth in professional ethics. That is, there seems to be a tendency for some of the brokers to avoid selling access to, for example, healthcare organizations. Kayla says, quote, As some ransomware gangs, such as Darkside, promise not to target certain sectors, new ethics seem to be established among actors participating in the ransomware-as-a-service economy. Depending on the gangs, they were seen forbidding their affiliates to attack healthcare, government, education, and nonprofit sectors to not cause damage to patients, students, citizens, and other categories of people. The ransomware gang seemed to pass a message they hunt only companies and aim only for financial gain. End quote. We would hesitate to call this ethics, especially since we've seen how readily such resolutions of good behavior were abandoned by the cited ransomware gangs, where altruism and respect for the common good took a distinct backseat to the main chance. As Kayla qualifies their conclusion, quote, However, there are still no rules on this matter. Most of the brokers still sell all the accesses they were able to gain. End quote. One rule seems firm, however. Russian-speaking gangs don't hit Russian targets. We'll leave it as an exercise for the listener to speculate as to whether this represents patriotic compunction or simple self-preservation. And finally, some of the initial access brokers are seeking to monetize their wares in other ways, usually by engaging in some data theft or extortion on their own. The double extortion approach may be showing signs of being played out, but the brokers are new enough to the game, perhaps, to figure, well, why not? The U.S. Justice Department late last week announced the indictment of six people for attempting to disfraud a businessman interested in establishing schools in Qatar. The amount the alleged crooks were allegedly after came to more than $1.1 million, a sum they subsequently intended to launder. That's interesting enough, but more interesting are the confession and guilty plea of Ramon Oluruana Abbas, better known by his hacker name Ray Hushpuppy. Mr. Hushpuppy, a Nigerian national 37 years young, is alleged to have connived with a senior and much decorated Nigerian police official in his crimes. The U.S. would very much like to see Supercop Abba Alhare Kiyari, Deputy Commissioner for the Nigeria Police Force, answer for his alleged role in supporting a fraud ring that has operated globally. 
Nigerian authorities are looking into the conclusions the U.S. FBI has drawn in their Operation Top Dog, as the investigation is called. But the Washington Post reports those authorities aren't saying whether they've suspended Mr. Chiari. Mr. Chiari has denied any wrongdoing. And finally, Bravo Psycraft. The record reports that the Taiwan-based security firm has released a decryptor for Prometheus ransomware. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And it is always a pleasure, dare I say a thrill, to welcome Rick Howard back to the show. He is the CyberWire's chief security officer and also our chief analyst. Rick, welcome back. A thrill, you say? Man, oh man, I love it. <laughs> maybe, maybe I shouldn't say that until we're done recording, right? Just exactly. Shouldn't, uh, shouldn't preload it. Um, so on this week's CSO Perspectives podcast, you are continuing your discussion about resiliency, which is a first principle infosec strategy. Now, last week you talked about encryption, but this week you were talking about backup and restore operations, which is a key and essential piece to business continuity and disaster recovery planning. Uh, what, uh, what can we expect this week, Rick? Well, you're right, Dave, and it's funny. If you talk to any IT or security pro about disaster recovery, without fail, they all seem to have their own personal catastrophic recovery story. You know, hmm. where they had to wrestle with the gods of epic failure to reclaim some important piece of lost data. So my question to you is, what's your disaster recovery story? 
Oh man, I I, ha- I have a recent one. I was uh, I recently was updating my Mac to Big Sur, you know, the recent uh, yeah. OS, and uh, and I have I had a Time Machine backup that was attached to the machine, and I also had a secondary backup. Yes, you did. Uh, yeah, of course. So right, belt and suspenders, right? <laughs> so I run my uh, my system upgrade, and this is the the first time I'm upgrading to the new OS. It takes its time as these things can happen, and it runs and it runs and it runs and it runs. At the end, when it's done, I get things up and running. I go to look to my backups, and they're gone. Everything's gone. (laughs) My time machine's gone. My secondary backup is gone. It's just gone. It's just gone, Rick. It's all gone. It's all gone. I remember (laughs) when this was happening, and there was this black cloud hovering over the headquarters there. It's like, oh, no. It's the the worst feeling in the world. It really is. you know, shame on me for doing a system update and leaving those backups attached to the system, right? Mm -hmm. That that is 100% on me, and I did that wrong. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the story in a nutshell. Is this uh, is this ring a bell? Is this a familiar tale with you and your your buddies? It totally is, and I feel you, Dave. All right, because we've all been there, right? And in yeah. this episode, yeah. I relay my own personal story where I just about lost twenty years of family data. Right, so uh, I, I understand where you're coming from. And all wow. I can say is thank goodness for the Best Buy Geek Squad and their hard drive recovery <laughs> services, right? So, <laughs> right. So, but but for this episode, okay, I wanted to talk about enterprise backup and restore operations, all right, in connection with our first principle strategies. You know, with ransomware having a moment right now, pursuing all of our first principle strategies: intrusion, kill chain prevention, zero trust, risk assessment, and resiliency will greatly reduce the probability that a ransomware gang will have success against your organization. And you can't do resiliency without encryption and backups. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, I will say I will be listening with great interest. <laughs> As we all <laughs> with, do. <laughs> with renewed interest. Yeah. So it's uh, CSO Perspectives. It is part of CyberWire Pro. You can find out all about that on our website, thecyberwire.com. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Kevin McGee. He's the Chief Security Officer at Microsoft Canada. Kevin, it is always great to have you back. Um, You know, you and I were talking offline, and and you mentioned that you have been going through a bit of a a sprint when it comes to hiring. And I wanted to check in with you on that, just sort of lessons and insights that you have learned from going through that process. 
Hi, Dave. Thanks and, uh, for having me back. Um, it's, it's a topic that's really near and dear to my heart. I think as uh, cybersecurity leaders, the most important thing we can do is make sure that we, uh, we hire the right folks, uh, we onboard the right folks, and we develop them as security professionals. And that means uh, really thinking differently. Uh, as we move into the pandemic, uh, it became much more challenging to really connect with people and to find uh, the right uh, folks. But it also created a lot of opportunities to expand our, our thinking about um, you know, where we could draw from talent pools, not just in geographic locations, because location didn't matter anymore uh, when we all started uh, to move to a lockdown perspective, but also just different backgrounds and, and different perspectives. And um, I think what's come out of this, this uh, expansion during a time of a pandemic is I've really been able to grow a very diverse and strong team um, because of really the constraints that the um, – that the overall pandemic imposed. When you say diverse, what do you mean? How? What was your approach to that, and, and what are the successes and challenges you've you've uh, experienced? Well, we finally hit uh, gender parity, for instance, on our team. We have an equal number of men and women on the team, and uh, it was a a big challenge to make sure that we did the right things and we brought the right talent into the process. So no one was ever given a, a role on our team um, because they represented a certain background or whatnot. Everyone competed, but making sure that everyone that we wanted to uh, have a chance at the job really had that same equal playing field. And uh, that meant uh, making sure that we we looked for not a fit for the team, but who could add to the team. We didn't look to screen out candidates. We looked to screen in candidates. What could they bring to the organization? What could they bring to the team that we we didn't have? And that meant different backgrounds in terms of education, uh, gender, um, stage of career, and whatnot as well. So taking a very inclusive and open mindset approach to, uh, to hiring as opposed to screening people out, finding reasons why they shouldn't join the team was made all the difference. It's much more time consuming. It takes a lot more effort by the hiring manager. And uh, it's ultimately, though, um, you know, the best thing you can do to really strengthen your team and, and make it much more effective. And I'm already beginning to see the results of uh, all of this new talent, all this new perspective and all this new diversity we've brought to the team. What sort of results are you seeing? What, what does that lead to in terms of outcomes? Well, it can be everything from uh, just having uh, different people at different stages in career. So a great example, when uh, someone brings up a new um, social media service or whatnot, I'm in my late 40s. I don't use a lot of these platforms or services. So having someone that's more familiar with uh, with those um, with those solutions and uses those solutions, you know, great opportunity to really tap that knowledge. Uh, the other thing I find, uh, I now started to notice a lot of my biases. I came up the security chain in the network um, security world. So I always follow the packet. That's how I think about security. Um, but in a cloud world with uh, service applications, containers and whatnot, I find a lot of what I learn, all that 30 years of experience I have, sometimes holds me back in really seeing the greater picture. And those biases need to be challenged. And we do that by adding people at a different stage of their career who grew up in the container age, who really uh, don't know um, anything different. They have a different perspective and uh, allowing them to speak truth to power, to uh, to really feel empowered, to offer their opinions and their ideas uh, really makes a difference. And I'm quite surprised really at often how my 30 years of experience, which should be a reason to hire a security professional, can sometimes hold me back in, in terms of how I approach solving a problem. 
What, what about uh, sort of, you know, geographic uh, diversity? And it, did, uh, did the pandemic open up the possibility for a broader range of candidates or just being able to work remotely? Absolutely. I, th- I think we have, uh, as an industry, um, this idea that you need to be part of a major city or, or you know, accessible to an office. And what the pandemic really showed is that, you know, we can work from anywhere. Um, and uh, using all the tools we have available to us, as long as you have a high-speed internet connection and you have the right skill sets, um, you are uh, a viable candidate now. And uh, we've really uh, doubled down on making sure that we are exploring uh, folks outside of uh, the, the major geographical areas. Uh, we now have people in um, in cities and towns in areas of the country would have probably not necessarily thought of. Um, and and it's not that we wouldn't wanted those people. It's maybe we didn't think to go there to find talent. So we have uh, new team members in Prince Edward Island uh, from Canada, in Nova Scotia, in Saskatchewan, uh, some areas of untapped talent where we, we maybe not have looked before in the past. And we're uncovering incredible um, talent, skills, and team members in these places. And they're now having the opportunity to live where they want, to um, to raise their family in the communities maybe that they uh, they grew up in and whatnot, without having to sacrifice uh, a chance to uh, at a great career at Microsoft. All right. Well, Kevin McGee, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dave. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Trey Hester, Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Fittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.